Well, looking back at the things that we have already seen in Paul's life, we have seen Paul's past and present surveyed. We've seen Paul's successes counted not by his victories, but by his defeats. We've seen Paul's salvation testimony that was shared many times, particularly in the book of Acts. We see Paul a spectacle or example to the world, and I've called that round one. We've seen Paul had the sentence of death upon himself, 2 Corinthians 1, 7 to 14. That was round two. Paul had supernaturally survived, round three, 2 Corinthians 6, 1 to 10. And I found that as I've read through scripture, and as we do our daily Bible reading, we might not read one after the other, but we read them on different days or different weeks, and we think, I've read this before somewhere. But as you read through and deliberately mark down these references, you see it's like Paul was in the boxing ring having a fight with the enemy, and all these things come to him and befell him. But he soldiered on. He soldiered on, just like the song that has just been sung, Am I a Soldier? Or I'm a Soldier. And soldiers need to endure the tough times that they'll go through. So Christian soldiers. Well, we see round four here that Paul was involved with. Paul had suffered significantly. This is seen in these verses here. And notice most of these are in First and Second Corinthians that we've looked at, if not all of them that Paul had to, as it were, unwillingly boast about what he had been through. He said to the Corinthians, you're as kings, and I'm just one of these sufferers down here working for the Lord. He was having a dig at them, really. But uh, you reign as kings? I'm not so. And Paul here, again, in verse 16 that we didn't read, down to verse 22, said, I say again, see, he's already said it, and we've looked at those. Let no man think me a fool, if otherwise, yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little. That which I speak, I speak not after the Lord, but as it were, foolishly, in this confidence of boasting. Seeing, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. They gloried about all their exploits and the things they'd done. But he said, let me glory, but I'll glory in my suffering. <laughs> For ye suffer fools gladly. And apparently the Corinthians would allow, allow people to come in that Paul would call fools. Seeing yourselves are wise. Having a crack at them. For ye suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you. If a man take you, if a man, exalt him, a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face, they seem to be able to take this from those people that come in and take advantage of them. They didn't want to listen to Paul, who they'd come to know Christ through. And this would have hurt the apostle, added to all the problems he already faced. Who's Paul? Oh, he's that fellow wandering all around the world, going in every city, causing strife and uproars and riots wherever he goes and who is Paul huh. he's really this father spiritually speaking that he led them to the Lord I speak as concerning reproach as though we had been weak nevertheless in whatever any is bold I speak foolishly I am bold also and then we get to the portion 
we're looking at here, Paul had suffered significantly. Suffering for the church. The pain and persecution of Paul that he endured are almost inconceivable as we read through this portion of Scripture as we've read it already. Let's just consider a few. He was imprisoned often, as it says in verse 23. Well, first of all, 22. I am a Hebrew as they. I am an Israelite as they. I am the seed of Abraham. I have authentic papers, in other words. If you want to me to bring proof of who I am and what I've been and where I've come from, I have them. And then 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I more. In labours more abundantly, in, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently. Imprisoned more frequently. Often he was found himself imprisoned or they're running after him to put him into prison. He knew that was that, what that was about because he had imprisoned Christians when he was unsaved. In verse 23, he was whipped times without number in labours more abundant, in stripes above measure. In stripes above measure, he received 39 lashes from the Jews on five occasions. Five occasions. He'd been whipped on his back. Can you imagine what Paul looked like physically as that whip not only got his back but around his front and maybe his face at times? One of those occasions is in Acts 16, Paul and Silas, whipped and thrown into prison by the Philippian jailer. He was beaten with rods on three occasions in verse 25. Thrice I was beaten with rods. So above being whipped and his flesh all torn 39 times, each whipping five times over, then beaten with rods. What would you or I do if this had happened to us? Would we not say, I'm not in this, I'm out of here, and left and vacated the ministry or even Christianity. He faced death time and again, as it says in verse 23. In deaths often, he faced danger from flooded rivers that he had to cross on his ministry. He faced, they didn't have bridges in those days. He faced danger from robbers. In verse 26, in perils of waters, that's the floods, in perils of robbers, You'd, you'd say, well, we would say, well, I'm working for the Lord. He's going to protect me from robbers. I've worked all night stitching tents up to have a bit of money to get to the next town and buy some food and so forth, along with my co-workers. And then robbers come and take the money from him. What would we say? Lord, how can you let these things happen? He didn't. He faced danger from Jews and Gentile mobs in verse 26, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils of the heathen, in perils of the city, in perils in the wilderness. Wherever he was, there was problems. And so we read on. He was stoned once. That was at Lystra in Acts 14. That's in verse 25. I was beaten. I was stoned. I was stoned. And they thought he was dead. They dragged him out of the city. And then the Lord raised him up. And I believe that's where, whether in the body or out of the body, reference comes from when Paul saw heaven. <laughs> and uh, he said it's not lawful for a man to talk about those things. Stone. He was shipwrecked three times. 
shipwrecked three times out in the sea. He must have been a swimmer or able to cleave to a board, a dry board to float. But there three times, Acts 27 verse 14 gives an account of the shipwreck that he's involved with on that occasion. He spent a terror-filled night and day in the open sea. And you'd say, Lord, aren't you protecting me? <laughs> yes. The, the Lord had told Paul he was going to certain places and he was going to be there and he was going to minister. He knew he was going to Rome and so he wasn't dead yet. He was going to continue in the work and the Lord was going to give him victory and floating on this in, on the sea at day and a night in the deep, 24 hours, just staying awake for 24 hours, let alone trying to stay adrift 24 hours. He travelled many weary miles in hostile territory, in unknown country, from city to city where he went with his co-workers to preach the gospel of peace, to bring glad tidings of those that abound and imprisoned with their sin. Many weary miles he travelled. You know, today we hop on, well, huh, did hop on an aeroplane. Don't know if they're going to be around much. But he, we hop on an aeroplane, we fly here, we fly there, we hop in a motor car, turn the air conditioner on, turn the heater on, cold or hot, whatever, and we comfortably go. But we bemoan the thought that we have to go so many hours sitting in a comfortable seat to do ministry. He travelled weary miles on foot. Although there were some rough miles on the sea, but getting shipwrecked was a danger. He spent sleepless nights, verse 27. Weariness and painfulness in watchings often in hunger and thirst. He, he knew constant hunger and thirst according to that verse. He often was cold and ill-clothed, as it says there, in fastings often in cold and nakedness. The robbers may have taken all his clothes too and left them for dead. He experienced harrowing escapes in 32 and 33 in Damascus, the governor there, the king, kept the city with a garrison desiring to apprehend me. And so how did he escape? Well, through a window he was let down in a basket. <laughs> you talk about the Christian life being boring. Well, not if you're in God's will. It's harrowing, it's tough. But God's there to meet every need and to get us through the circumstances. My grace is sufficient for thee. He bore daily the burden of many churches that he'd started in verse 28 to 31, wondering how they were doing, how they were going in their Christian life. How much a spiritual-minded man can bear is seen in these verses. This is probably the, the greatest of all the ones we look at where Paul was harassed with all these things. And he's, he, he wouldn't have said this unless the Corinthians were not mindful of him. He said, I have to, have to say these things because you're honouring people that have not been through these things. Look at where I've been. Look at what's happened to me. And still I'm in the race. And still I'm serving the Lord Jesus. Whatever These other fellows, if they didn't get paid by you, if they didn't take advantage of you, would they still be in the race? I wonder. So he was a spiritually minded man that bore the yoke of ministry. Many Christians today crack up with a perceived problem. Not a problem, but a perceived problem. What they think could go wrong, let alone the actual and manifold problems that Paul faced 
as it were, it looks like it daily. He was in these terrible situations. Can you imagine what he looked like physically after all these things that happened to him? You know, we, we today have, well, the kids have their, their Spider-Man hero. The, the, the men have their Iron Man hero. They're eating all they can and pumping themselves up and building themselves up. Schwarzenegger, I don't know if he's still around, but, you know, the Rambo-style person. They're all fake. They do it for their own profit. They do it through the television, through the, the films and things they do. Look how good, tough we are. Here's a tough man. Here's the man that could be a good and true soldier of the Lord Jesus. Paul, the apostle, he, he literally went through these things. These things really happened to him. And when we say this, this is preparing a man to do ministry and for God to work through him. I ask you, who wants to be a servant of the Lord? Who wants to go through things like this? Stand up and be counted, men. And what a rebuke to modern ministries and ministers who fly around in their leer jets, who have multi-million dollar salaries, who pe- preach the prosperity gospel. I'll prosper, you give it to me. And if you don't give it to me, you're not going to get a blessing. Have you heard them go on about that? And they go on a whole sermon about if you give, then you will be blessed. Paul gave, he gave everything. He is blessed for eternity for the things he did and will be and any other Christian likewise. But he wasn't blessed, as it were, with material things down here on this, on, in this world. I was reading... Some in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 8 where Paul said he was one born out of due time. What does it mean when he's born out of due time? In its context it seems to mean he was saved later than the other apostles. Born out of due time, he was born later and uh, went through all these harrowing experiences in in his life. And that yes, he did see the risen Lord one born out of due time in the Greek is as to an abortion. He was aborted. One born prematurely, not after, but before. And it's interesting to look at it in that light. One born prematurely, even as if to the untimely birth in an abortion. And Paul was saw the Lord Jesus Christ five times. We have that in a record, and that gives him the uh, that he can be an apostle and claim to be an apostle. If Paul was saying he was born prematurely, like in an abortion, then he is referring to something in the future and not in the past. Ask yourself the question: Well, what's he referring to? Is he referring to the nation when it will get saved one day? after rejecting the Lord and resisting the Lord so strenuously for thousands of years, and they'll be born in a day, the whole nation, and come to the light of the gospel as Paul did? Is he referring to maybe the 144,000, one born out of due time? Well, I, I, I figure that I'm in that lot. He didn't know about that. John wrote that later. But he was one born 
out of due time as it were aborted. In the future, these people that come to the Lord in the nation of Israel will do exploits, will do what Paul did. They will be persecuted, they will be tormented. And if we speak of the 144,000, we know their end, they're all martyred. They're all martyred and enter into heaven's glory. You read the book of Revelation. And so Paul, as it were, died daily, martyred daily for the cause of Christ. Paul had suffered significantly physically, mentally, socially, rejected by people that he won to the Lord. I pray that you're not doing that to the one that led you to the Lord. Paul sustained not only this, but this is round five, a physical infirmity. If we go to chapter 12 of the book of 2 Corinthians, we read in verse 6, Though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, Ephesians chapter 3, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord three thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. I, my strength is made perfect in weakness. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a saying, that's a truth that Paul literally lived. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then, then am I strong. So here is round five. Paul sustained a physical infirmity through all the other problems he had, all the beatings and all the whippings and the shipwrecks and the robbering, robberies that he had suffered. He had this. And it's believed to be an eyesight problem. Give me a break, we might say. <laughs> the devil's darts, which he delighted to goad Paul with, came constantly. And Paul here <clears throat> is vexed in verse 7. I bes I, lest I be exalted above measure from the revelations, it was given me a thorn in the flesh. This vexation of his. The reason is given there and the reality of this thorn. And as I said, I believe it's the thorn in the flesh is his eyesight. What more would a preacher treasure than his eyesight and his voice? <laughs> to be able to minister for the Lord and tell people about the word of the Lord and to encourage and to build people up and to feed people with that. And so we see Paul voiced his request in verse 8. We see his vexation in verse 7. Then he voiced his request in verse 8. He said, for this thing I besought the Lord three times. He prayed, Lord, remove this. Now, Paul had healed quite a few people that we have a record of but he couldn't heal himself of this. This was something that the Lord desired to keep in his life, to keep him from being exalted above measure. And then we see Paul's victory in verses 9 to 10. God's grace was sent and God's grace was seized and sufficient. It enabled Paul to take pleasure, in verse 10, in pain or infirmities. It enabled Paul 
to suffer reproach or the provocations of the enemy. Even the Galatians, at one time they said, you know, we'll pluck out our eyes if we couldn't give them to you so you can see properly to do ministry. Where is this blessedness gone that you spoke of, Paul said? Am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth, he said to them? The provocations and reproaches of people that should have been praying for Paul and should have been given to his ministry and his missionary work and his church planting work. And verse 10 again, necessities, the privations, there's pain, there's provocations, there's the privations in the flesh, necessities. Not that he wanted a heap of money in the bank, not that he wanted a heap of food, but just the necessities, nakedness. He needed clothes. Hey, he said once when he was in prison, send the cloak, I'm cold in this prison. Send the parchments, necessities, that basic necessities of life that Paul was suffering, privations, persecutions, persecutions, verse 10. All these are in verse 10. And then the distresses or the problems that he faced there in verse 10. Distresses for Christ's sake. Paul counted his victories, as we've said, by his defeats and not by his apparent outward successes, not by his huge building and church. Remember this morning we're talking about the disciples being enamoured by the, the temple that that old fox Herod had built? Let's not get carried away with material things down here. Let's not get carried away with the size of the church and the stained glass windows. The building. The church is not the building anyway. The church is the people in the building. And they can be assembled at other places other than a building. And they were in the New Testament. They are in other countries. China, for instance. They gathered in other places. And so Paul sustained a physical infirmity through his, throughout his life. That the Lord said, I'm leaving it with you because I can use you better with that problem. My grace is sufficient for thee. Most gladly will I glory in mine infirmities and not in those things that seem to be outwardly successful. Parallel Paul. Put Paul alongside the preachers of today. You know what? If he was around today with all the marks he had in his body, I don't think that many preachers would have him in their pulpits. He's too blunt. He's too beat up. How can we allow this man to minister? What will he do to our offerings? They might all plummet. Little do they know that they're rejecting the servant of the Lord would be rejecting him and the ministry he could have for them and to them. Well, Paul's survival is spurred on by the hope of the resurrection. Let's go back to some things he talked about in 1 Corinthians this time. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 29 to 34 and other references we'll look at. There we read in verse 29, Else what shall they do who are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? Paul is not here speaking of baptism or baptizing living believers in place of either believers or unbelievers. We can't stand in proxy for someone else or unbelievers who have died and, you know, 
baptize, get baptized for them so that they can be secured for eternity. There is no assignment of saving efficacy in baptism. The argument is of what value is it for one to trust Christ and be baptized in the ranks left vacant by those who have died if there is no resurrection for the believers. That's what he's saying here. If there's no resurrection, what's the sense of being baptized? You know, baptism is in question here. And um, these things, as we come to, these are, these are some problems that Paul went through. Let's, let's read on in verse 30 and 32. And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? The problems? Jeopardy every hour. These trying things, these sufferings that come upon him. Every hour I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus. Our Lord, I die daily. Battling in question. If the resurrection hasn't happened, why get baptised? 29. If the dead rise not. Battling is question. If the resurrection is a fact, we can face danger, we can face death with confidence and we can die daily if the resurrection is a fact. If the resurrection is a fake, <laughs> we can have fun today, forget tomorrow, why spend and be spent if the resurrection is not a fact. If this life is all there is, eat, drink and be merry. That's what Paul is saying here. If it's fraudulent and he's in the middle of speaking about the resurrection, then why stand we in jeopardy every hour? Why die I daily? Why not just give this up? And hey, if the resurrection is not true, he's right. But the resurrection is true. So there's baptism in question, there's battling for the Lord in question. Why continue? Behaving in question, even in verse 33. Be not deceived, evil communications corrupts good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. You know, if the resurrection is not true, why behave as a Christian? And here he's saying a seedy fellowship. Beware of sinful company and compromise of those that don't believe these fundamental truths, particularly of the resurrection. Shameful feature of the church there, I awake to rush. Some not have the knowledge that they need to be saved. I speak this to your shame. You're having it so easy. You're not speaking about the resurrection and that one day everybody will have to face the Lord in judgment on resurrection day. Wake up. Wake up and live the Christian life. Um, put up with the problems. Trust in the Lord. Look to the future. And then we can say, but, but there is a resurrection. And there is reason for ob objectivity to being objective with all the troubles and tribulations we face. Because in verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 15, Christ is risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Christ has been raised. Death has been conquered in verse 21. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Hey, with all these troubles that we have, Paul said, I know that what spurs me on is the objectivity of the resurrection. 
there is reason for being objective in our Christian life, no matter how hard the times, because Christ has been raised, death has been conquered, resurrection has been promised to all, verse 22, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Resurrection has been promised. We, we will win the victory. There is reason not only for objectivity, but there is reason for order too. And Paul gives us the order of the resurrection. And God does everything decently and in order. Verse 23, Christ the firstfruits and some of the Old Testament saints, many of them that slept were raised. Then the Christians, that's the next order. They're the follow-up, the firstfruits, then the follow-up. The main harvest that happens when the Lord comes in First Thessalonians 4 and the rapture happens and then at the revelation seven years later the Lord is revealed and there are those that are raised at that time tribulation saints and I believe Old Testament saints and then there is the resurrection of the cursed the final fate of the faithless the fatal thing that will happen to them there in verse 24 then cometh the end when he shall deliver up the kingdom of God even the father when he shall have put down all rule, all authority and power and the unsaved stand before the Lord at the judgment, at the great white throne judgment. So it's reason for order. God is going to do it in order and he'll just keep it going. He started the resurrection with Christ. He will finish it with the unsaved. All will be raised. There's reason for order. There's reason for objectivity. And there's there's reason for optimism. Verse 25, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. With all the problems that Paul faced, he could still be optimistic. Folks, we can still be optimistic with all the problems the world's facing, with all the downturns, with everything that's going to go wrong from here on, on in in our lives. We can be optimistic because he will reign. We are on the winning side. <laughs> He has won the victory at the cross and in the resurrection. He will destroy death. We can be optimistic. Verse 26, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Revelation 1.18, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and have the keys of death and of hell. Yes, he will destroy death. He will conquer death. He has conquered death and he will conquer it in our lives as well. He will subdue all things unto himself, verse 27. But all things under his feet, all things are put under him. The only one that will not be put under him is his father, the Lord God Almighty. And he will stamp his image upon those that have believed in him. In verse 49, as we have therefore borne the image of the earthly, Adam, we shall bear the image of the heavenly, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will do this. He is bringing this to pass. He was bringing this to pass pass in Paul's life with all these problems. If you saw and talked to Paul when he first got saved on the road to Damascus and talked to Paul in prison at Rome waiting execution, there was a different man. Christ's image had been stamped on him He had the marks of the Lord Jesus all over his body from the whippings and beatings and troubles he'd had. He had changed to be the person that God wanted him to be, to be fit for ministry and to be able to meet other people's needs spiritually. He will change this mortal body. Verse 51, we can be optimistic 
This is not all there is. <laughs> One day I'll be able to speak <laughs> without coughing all the time. But... Uh, one day we won't have the sicknesses and the cancers and the diseases that we have and the coronavirus and the, the, the Spanish flu and all gone. <laughs> I'll show a mystery. We shall not sleep, but we shall be changed. This mortal will, will put on immortality. We can't live in etern- for eternity in this body. They grow old, they grow weak, and they fail us. But we do have an immortal body promised to us. This corruptible will put on incorruption, this mortal immortality. And then verse 54 to 57, he will swallow up death in victory. You know, we can be optimistic no matter what the troubles, what the problems, we have a living saviour who's conquered death, who's been raised again and has promised us that we also will be raised. He makes us steadfast and unmovable, verse 58, in the work of the Lord. Established, settled, strengthened, 1 Peter 5.10. And he assures, assures us that our labour is not in vain in the Lord. All these things that Paul went through will be rewarded. The Lord Jesus said, even a cup of cold water done in his name for a needy person will have its reward. Can you imagine the rewards that await the likes of the Apostle Paul that went through all these things. I think was there five rounds that Paul gave us of the things that happened to him in his life. But he he was victorious. Who's going to rise to the challenge? Who is going to be a Gideon? Who is going to be a Peter, a Paul? a Jeremiah, a Daniel, and make their mark on history and push back the enemy's encroachment into the land of the living of the Lord Jesus. Who is going to stand up and be counted? And we must warn people that are willing to stand up, read the life of the Apostle Paul. You want to be a servant of the Lord? You want to be an overcomer? You want God to work through you that he might be exalted and and not ourselves? See what happened to Paul for a man dedicated, a man committed to the ministry, a man that paid the ultimate of everything that he had for the glory of God for the last half of his life. And the Lord worked through him. The Lord done wonderful and mighty things. Multiple thousands of people will be in heaven because of Paul's ministry and his revelations. We have the New Testament all the epistles from the hand of Paul that we can read and be blessed with today. How many more have been won after he died to the Lord through his testimony and through his ministry? Are you willing to lay your life down to spend and be spent for the Lord Jesus in these last few days that we have or years that we have to minister Let's go into all the world. Let's preach the gospel. Let's go into our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost past, sharing the gospel. Let's count no cost too dear for the Lord Jesus Christ. All these things will be rewarded on top of our salvation. Praise God for what he has done and what he can do through a committed servant. Let's not be thinking about ourselves and all the little aches and pains we have. Let's think about God and, and eternity. Heavenly Father, help us to get things in perspective. 
Help us not to be tangled up with the affairs of this life so they sap all our energy and we don't give anything to you. Thank you for this great example of a mighty man of God that did what he did, suffered what he suffered, but still kept on going as a valiant soldier for the Lord Jesus. May we follow in these men's footsteps who stood their ground and preached the gospel and stood against the enemy, the old devil, and the enemies in the flesh, Satan's workers. Bless those that are willing to take a stand for your glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.